Chapter 11 in Eschenrode While Kurt was struggling to get to their apartment in Frankfurt, the inn's landlady curtly said to Helena, I just can't keep you in my house with your four children. Follow me and I will show you to a place where you can live. She led her across the street through deep snow to an old wash house. Once a week, the peasant women used to light fires here under huge cauldrons to boil their laundry. Now the building had fallen into disrepair and was no longer used. It consisted of an empty room with a cement floor. The damp walls were covered with ice and icicles hung from the ceiling. There was one small broken window. The door was missing. An open latrine sat in one corner giving off an overpowering stench. Seeing Helena's horrified expression, the woman said, What's the matter? Don't you like it? Just be grateful I am giving you this much. I have nothing else for you. Through the open door, the landlady yelled, Shark! Shark! Haul some straw in here. Get a move on, you dirty, lazy pig. A young man, captured in France and transported to Germany to do slave labor, appeared on the porch of the inn, followed by the landlord, who kicked him down the steps with a curse, then hit him with a whip across his back as he landed in the street. Helena ran to the youth and helped him up, brushing the snow off him. Then she went back into her icy room. For the first time in all the years of the war, she gave in to despair. In the bone-chilling cold, she sat on the bed and cried as if her heart would break. Seeing their strong, courageous mother in tears terrified Lotte and Gert. Silently they stood by her side, not knowing how to comfort her. There came a soft knock. Shock stood in the door with a steaming pot of Ersatz café, a coffee substitute made from roasted grain. You are good woman, he said in broken German. Landlady, nicht good. I help you. Gratefully, Helena and the children drank, feeling warmed not only by the hot liquid, but also by the young man's kindness. Later, Sister Geyser arrived. She had been assigned to another family and had come by to see how her friends were faring. Helena's account infuriated her. Fold yourself together, she ordered. We are going to pay a visit to the Nazi leader and the village. They burst in on Herr Schaefer just as he sat down to have breakfast with the League of Women officer in charge of the evacuation transport. His table was laden with sausage, ham, butter, bread, cake, coffee, and milk till it could hold no more. There were always plenty of provisions for party leaders. What do you want? he asked rather ungraciously. The evacuation officer was even more belligerent. How dare you barge in here like this, she bellowed. Get out! Get out right now! Tiny Sister Geyser stood her ground, her feet firmly planted apart, her fists on her hips. Now you listen to me, she said in a voice of deadly calm. If you think that a wash house is fit accommodation for a family, you can go live there yourself. I wouldn't put an animal in a place like that, she gestured toward Helena. This woman here has four children, and her youngest is just a nursing infant. They have had no food for two days while you sit here gorging yourself. Tell me something, she said, glowering at the evacuation officer. Do you have a husband? Dumbfounded by this display of audacity, the female officer sputtered, Yes, I do. What is that to you? Is he at home? Yes, but this conversation is over, the officer said quickly. I order you to leave immediately. Oh, no, you don't. Sister Geyser continued fearlessly, never budging. 
what we need to do is to send your husband to the front and bring the father of these four children home so he can take care of his family. That would be justice. She stood as tall as she possibly could and rapped out her final words with the authority of a stormtrooper. If you don't resolve the situation in short order, I will report you to the authorities. If I have to go all the way to Adolf Hitler himself, as you know, he promotes big families and supports women with children. Behind the officer's back, the party leader frantically gestured to Sister Geyser to leave. He indicated that he would follow soon. Majestically, Sister Geyser took Helena's arm and led her from the room. Two hours later, Herr Schäfer did indeed arrive in Helena's freezing quarters. He shook her hand and apologized for the hardships she had gone through. Helena sensed right away that he had a kind heart. Frau Hassel, he said, I have personally visited all the farmers in the village. No one wants to take you with four children. But the peasant women all tell me that you are doing right not to be separated from them. They would do the same. Children belong with their mother. Helena nodded, yet her heart sank at these discouraging words. But, he said, I have found a possible home for you. It's an old couple, the Josts, who are in their seventies. Because of their age, they are not actually required to take any evacuees, but they feel sorry for you and would like to meet you before they make a decision. Together, Herr Schäfer and Helena went to the Josts' house. Old Herr Jost was seated on a bench by their child's stove, and his wife sat at their table. Frau Jost's face was as wrinkled as a prune. She had her gray hair done up in a top knot, and in her mouth there was only one tooth. With their gentle expressions, they looked like the ideal grandparents. As they silently looked each other over, Helena took an immediate liking to them. Thanks be to God, she thought. Here's where I want to stay. Please, dear Lord, let it be. Frau Jost spoke first. Frau Hassel, no one wants to take you with your children. That is hard. I'll keep you. The other family should be ashamed of themselves. She smiled tentatively. I just hope we get along, she said. We have never had children of our own, and now we are old, and we like a quiet life. I suppose there will be a lot of noise? Oh, no, no, Helena assured her. I'll make sure the children won't disturb you. If they want to make noise, they can go outside. I am so glad you are giving us shelter. Well then, Frau Joost said kindly, sure welcome here. Herr Joost got up from his bench. Move in right away, he said heartily. Consider this your home. Bring the children. I like children. With moist eyes, he shook Helena's hand. Helena bundled up the children, and Jacques helped carry their baggage as they moved in. Frau Joost had already built a fire in the wood stove in their room, so that by the time they arrived, the room was nice and warm. Come in, come in, she said. I have a pan of chamomile tea boiling on the stove. Maybe it will put some moisture in the air to help the baby breathe easier. Sure enough, over the next few days, Susie completely recovered. Late in the evening, Kurt arrived safely with their bedding and dishes, and they felt even more at home. It was indeed the beginning of better times. Daily, Frau Joost provided butter, eggs, bread, and cream. When she baked a cake, she gave them some. In fact, there was nothing this dear couple had that they did not share with their lodgers. Helena showed her gratitude by vigorously cleaning the house from top to bottom till it shone, 
and even swept the street outside while the children herded the cattle and helped on the farm. It seemed that no job was too hard for them to accomplish. Frau Yost often said to Helena, Frau Hassel, God sent you to me. It wasn't long before the neighbors began to notice this flurry of activity. Their own evacuees didn't stir a finger to help them, and one by one they began to sidle up to Helena in the street. Frau Hassel, how are you? Fine, thank you, Helena said as she plied her broom. I want you to know that I would be happy to have you and your family in my home. I have space available now. You would have a much bigger room than the Yosts can provide. Politely, Helena declined. The Yosts took us in when nobody else wanted us, she said. They understood our needs and they treated us with kindness. We are very happy here and we are going to stay. The Yosts were devout Lutherans, and on Sundays they went to the only church in the village. When Frau Yost donned her regional costume, a white blouse with big puffed sleeves, a black velvet skirt, a rustling taffeta apron, a colorful silk shawl, and little black velvet slippers, she looked like a picture right out of a travel book. Since there were no Adventists to worship with, Helena accompanied them regularly. The pastor had been drafted, but had appointed a simple peasant to lead the church in his absence. Though this man had little education, Helena was often deeply moved by the powerful sermons he preached. Once a week, a group of women gathered in the Yost's house for Bible studies. The pastor's wife took a great liking to Helena. Come live with me, Frau Hassel. Helena laughed. Have you done your addition? Between you and me, we would have nine children in the house. We wouldn't survive it. Chuckling, they discarded that idea. One day, Helena heard that a truck would be going to Frankfurt to pick up some furniture for the evacuees. Helena got permission from party leader Herr Schaefer to go in with the driver and bring some of her things back. You're going to Frankfurt, Frau Hassel? asked Frau Joost. Would you be willing to do me a favor? If I packed a basket with farm produce, would you take it there and trade it for some cotton fabric and maybe some other things I can't get in the village? Certainly, Helena replied. Soon the older woman had her basket ready. On top she spread a thick layer of moss into which she carefully bedded fifty fresh eggs. Then she covered everything with hay and securely fastened burlap over the top. Helena and Kurt climbed into the back of the truck and settled on some sacks of flour. At a sharp curve in the road, Kurt lost his balance and landed full force on the basket. Hearing the crack, Helena knew the eggs were crushed. She was afraid to look. Dear Lord, she prayed, what is Frau Jost going to say? Would it be asking too much of you to please make these eggs whole again? When they got to Frankfurt, it turned out that there was no room for their furniture after all, and no time to do any trading. When they returned late at night, the truck stopped at a neighboring village where some other people's furniture was unloaded. Then the driver took Helena and Kurt to Eschenrod. Where's our basket? she asked the driver. He rolled his eyes. Sorry, he said. I must have unloaded it along with the furniture. Don't worry. Tomorrow I'll go back there and get it, and I'll drop it off by your back door. The next day Helena checked the back door periodically, but there was no basket. She explained to Frau Joost what had happened as best she could, but she could see that the woman did not believe her. Every morning when she heard the delivery truck, Helena sneaked out the back door hoping to see the basket. Each time she ran into Frau Joost in her nightgown doing the same thing. Helena would chuckle, but Frau Joost didn't see the humorous side of it. What is going on with my basket? she asked rather sniffily. I am beginning to think that you are telling me a big story. 
Did you sell the food in Frankfurt and make a lot of money? Helena's conscience was clear, but she wondered what Frau Jost would say when she finally got her basket back and discovered the eggs were crushed. She stopped checking the door. After a week, Frau Jost knocked softly on Helena's door, calling, Frau Hassel, the basket is here. Come help me unpack it. With dread in her heart, Helena hastily dressed and went to the parlor. On the way, she prayed again. Lord, please mix those eggs whole again. Frau Jost had already taken off the sacking that covered the basket. Now she carefully removed the hay and moss she had used for packing. One by one, she took out the eggs. Not one was broken. Frau Hassel, said the older woman, I am sorry that I doubted you. I will not distrust you again. One day soon afterward, a band of Polish prisoners of war was marched into the village. A dirty, ragged little boy limped along beside them. The mayor assigned the crippled child to live with the Joosts and help them on the farm. Frau Joost immediately enlisted Helena's help. I would like to take Adam to church with us on Sunday, she said, but he needs to be cleaned up first. I have had no experience with such things. Could you help me? Helena got warm water in a big bowl. First, she vigorously shampooed his hair, then set him in the sunshine to let it dry while she barbered it. Meanwhile, under Helena's direction, Frau Joost had set up the zinc bathtub, filled it with hot water, and added soda to it. This boy, Frau Joost muttered darkly, has not had a bath in months. Once he'd removed his soiled clothes, she gingerly picked them up, took them outside, and burned them. His skin was so caked with filth that he had to soak in the hot water a while before they could scrub it off. Adam's fingernails were long and shiny, and curved out beyond the ends of his fingertips like claws. He patiently endured the shampooing and soaking and scraping. He protested only once, when they wanted to cut away an old string he wore around his neck. He refused to let them even touch it. Frau Jost, look at his feet, Helena said. Do you have scissors? Adam's toenails had grown like talons, completely curling around the tip of his toes and under again. The scissors were not strong enough to cut them. I have some garden shears, she said doubtfully. That might do it. Sure enough, the shears did the trick and worked a small miracle. Because when Adam emerged from the tub clean and shiny and stepped out onto the floor, he wasn't crippled at all. It was the long toenails that had made walking almost impossible for him. Helena brought out some baby lotion and gently smoothed it over his chapped skin. Then she brought him some of Kurt's clothing, underwear, a shirt, a pair of pants, shoes, and socks. Frau Joost found a small wool vest that fit him. Every Sunday thereafter, Adam accompanied them to church, and so great was the transformation that even the other Poles did not even recognize him until Adam waved and called to them. At twelve, Adam was small and emaciated for his age. He worked very hard, however, and soon picked up fragments of German so he could communicate with them. He was far from lazy, but often came down late for breakfast. I wonder what's keeping him, Frau Joost said to Helena one morning. I'm going upstairs to peek through the keyhole. She returned a few minutes later. What do you know? Adam is kneeling by his bed, praying the rosary. He seemed to yearn for other things from his young past, because at sunset he stood by the garden gate and gazed into the distance. Adam home. Adam home there, he said, sadly pointing east. Frau Joost accepted another Polish refugee into her home, a young man named Josef. 
she'd given him a niche in the wall across from Helena's room where he could sleep. While other German peasants treated Poles like animals and half-starved them, Josef ate with Frau Jost and Helena's family at the table. Since Helena had no closet space, she pounded a nail in the wall of the hallway and hung one of Papa's good woolen suits there. She often stored leftover food on top of an old ornate chest in the corridor. Josef never touched anything. Josef, she offered, if you would ever like to go to church or to a dance, you're welcome to wear the suits that's hanging there. Though dressed in rags and very poor, Josef shook his head. The suit belongs to your husband. I not wear it. Thank you, thank you. Josef told them a little about Adam's background. His father and older brother had fallen at the front. Only his mother and two-year-old sister were left. Then his mother contracted tuberculosis. Before she died, she tied a little medallion with a picture of Mary and Jesus around his neck. It was Adam's only keepsake of his mother. After her death, someone took the little girl, but Adam was left to wander the streets. That's where the soldiers found him and took him along to Germany. Frau Joost's tender heart was touched. Quietly, she made plans for Adam's future. One morning, Helena looked out the window and saw Adam already busy in the garden, but he was behaving strangely. What's he doing out there? she asked Frau Joost. The other woman came and looked out the window. He looks doubled over, she said. He's just wandering down the vegetable rows, looking under every leaf. After Adam had gone through the garden, he went into the yard and carefully inspected the ground. Oh no, said Helena. Remember that medallion around his neck? That old string must have broken, and now he's lost his only treasure. Lotte, Kurt, Kurt, come here. Soon the whole family, Herr and Frau Joost included, turned the house and yard and barn upside down. They even examined the outhouse, but to no avail. The medallion was lost, and Adam was inconsolable. Late at night they heard him sobbing into his pillow. A few days later, Frau Joost decided to replace the straw in Adam's mattress. When she shook out the tick, she heard something clink. Sure enough, it was the precious medallion. It must have come off in the night and fallen into the straw. Excitedly, she called for Adam, and when he saw the shiny object in her hand, he burst into tears and kissed it fervently. Hanging it from a sturdy new string, he soon carried it around his neck again. Since the Yosts had no heirs, they decided to adopt Adam and leave the farm to him. But when Yosef explained his good fortune to the boy, he shook his head sadly and said he could not accept it, because after the war he must go back home and find his little sister. The Yosts understood and loved him even more for his devotion to his family. Yet not far from these gentle family scenes, Nazi ugliness raised its head. About 12 miles from Eschenrod was a camp of the SS, Hitler's elite forces. Fifty German girls worked there as secretaries. All were blonde, blue-eyed, and beautiful. It was rumored that the Nazis were getting them pregnant as part of the effort to create an Aryan super-race. When it became obvious that the war would be lost, the SS shot the girls to keep them from revealing their secrets and tossed them into a hastily dug mass grave. The Americans discovered this and ordered the Germans to dig them up and bury them properly. In turn, the Germans ordered the Poles to do this unpleasant task. 
When the Americans arrived and liberated the Poles, the latter saw their chance to revenge themselves for the degradation and inhumane treatment they had suffered at the hands of the Germans. One day they engaged in a spree of looting and destruction that left little behind. They herded off pigs, chickens, rabbits. They tore vegetables out of the gardens and trampled them, slashed clothes hanging on the line to dry, and ripped haystacks apart and scattered the hay. The next morning, Frau Joost noticed with wonder that none of her things had been touched, and Helena's clothes were still fluttering in the wind. of Solemn Appeal Ministries, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit us at solemnappeal.com or call 1-888-449-1452.